If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey guys, Larry here from the Game Dev Unchained podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to sit with Emma from Game Workers Unite to talk about unionizing in the game industry. Brandon, heavy hitter episode here, man. This is an episode that I've been wanting to do for for years now, ever since I've been in the industry, ever since I've been laid off, ever since (laughs) I've seen the dark past of the game history. (laughs) Underbelly. (laughs) The underbelly. uh, I've always been curious about why there aren't any unions in the game industry. It felt like uh, every other creative industry has one, but we we don't. And so after two years of podcasting, we found the perfect person uh, because this year alone is very interesting. 2018 GDC, as we get into the episode, was a huge milestone about unionization, at least the conversation of. Uh, We're still long roads ahead, which we detailed within the episode, but this is a very exciting one. I learned a lot, especially, you know, the number one thing as a worker in the game industry, you always feel threatened when you talk about these type of things. So Emma kind of walks us through about what our rights are and what we can do to kind of give some... uh, some muscles behind these yeah. this cause. And then she also took a good opportunity to answer some of the questions that I had to kind of explain from the employer's perspective what to look out for is in regards to how a company can be, you know, union safe or union pro uh, or, you know, on the side of unionizing without it affecting bottom line or without it affecting company culture or, you know, things that I guess people who run companies might not be interested in seeing a union develop. She really breaks down like where there's like some overlap on the Venn diagram. So I really have to thank her for being on this episode, for walking us through what we can expect from the game industry. Should we go to a more union centric workforce and, you know, just some of the things that we can do to try to make that day happen sooner than later. So it was a really great episode from my opinion. Yeah. So let's go straight into it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world or the globe, international, intergalactic, wherever you happen to be listening to the sweet voice come through those speakers or headphones. This is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. I'm going to clap for myself, but also for the co-host who helps me organize and film and run this amazing podcast. He is the 2017 Downhill Tumblr champion, Mr. Brandon Pham. <laughs> Rolling in as always, this is Brandon Fam coming with my pal this week. <laughs> Let's welcome our special guest, Emma. How are you doing, I'm, Emma? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm really excited to both talk with you both about um, unionization and you know pitch our org to people. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. So this is the part of the podcast we kind of ask about your background. Maybe nothing too specific, but. Uh, <laughs> Give a little, maybe Game Workers Unite or anything that you want to share. Yeah, sure. Um, So personally, uh, my name's Emma Kanema. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Emma Kanema. Kanema is spelled like cinema, but with a K. Um, And I'm a uh, producer. I've been working in games for a few years now. 
Um, I kind of have a background of academic game design uh, and then moving into the actual industry. Um, I, I've done production ever since. Um, and right now I'm one of the main organizers behind um, Game Workers Unite, which is a kind of grassroots movement and collective of people all organizing around the idea of um, pushing for better labor conditions in the games industry, um, primarily through unionization. Right. So why, why, why we want to unionize the games? <laughs> Aren't we doing so well? Oh come on! I've listened to your podcast. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, Crunch for number one, right? I mean, that's the easy one. Um, I can do without I Crunch. Mean, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, even when it is like semi-necessary, half the time it's usually bad management practice. And yeah. I can say that with some confidence coming mm -hmm. from a production background. <laughs> um, it's not always necessary. Um, but even when it is, like people aren't often paid for their overtime crunch time. So just having some framework in place to hold companies accountable um, and get people, you know, that overtime pay when they are crunching. But mm -hmm. um, unions really aren't just about crunch, even though that's what a lot of people have been talking about. Um, mm -hmm. It's also about, you know, access to healthcare, job stability, creating mm -hmm. fair crediting practices, um, because Lord knows the games industry doesn't like to have standardized credits on mm -hmm. our products, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, unlike film. Uh, it's about retirement plans. It's about long-term knowledge retention between workers and, you know, making sure burnout isn't such a, a big issue in the industry. And yeah. even, um, you know, things like workplace harassment and diversity can both be issues that can be um, helped forwarded with, um, like, the actual backing of collectivized workers okay. through a union. So yeah. um, just to name a couple reasons off the top of my head. So. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that, like, well, actually, I just wanted to say that when I was coming up through the game industry, or before I even stepped foot in, there was always this uh, stigma of, like, yeah, I got to get past that five-year mark because the, the turnover is so yeah. great in the game industry. As a pup, you're like, why? Because you're working on games and that's hard. You don't even think about, like, all of the issues that you try to navigate through. You know, like you said, harassment issues, crunch, oh, mismanagement yeah. of projects, you know, squandering of talent or just bad relationships between work and executive level talent there's so many things that could just make you say man f this like flip your desk and get the hell out of there so, absolutely absolutely I, I mean an ununionized industry you know it's not just like bad for the workers who are getting like squashed under these awful mm -hmm. labor conditions it's bad for mm -hmm. the company and bad for the product as well like mm -hmm. yeah i mean product suffers and it companies don't run as efficiently because they don't have to um yeah all these issues are totally relevant yeah, I mean, like, our industry is only 30, well, 30 years old. And uh, what's great is that the last GDC is where I uh, found you guys. Um, yeah, yeah. Where unionization actually became a, a lot of, a bigger topic. Like, everyone's starting to take it seriously. Yeah. Like probably because there's not a lot of AAA jobs anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's time. <laughs> it is time to do something about this. So, yeah. Let's, let's get together. Do you mind, yeah. Do you mind kind of like uh, kind of going back to when when did Gaming Workers Unite started or at least the conversation started to where it is now? Sure. So, I mean, 
something important to note is like there's been a lot of sentiment of like wanting to unionize, uh, wanting better labor conditions in the industry ever since it was, it was, you know, just starting, I mean, 40, 50 years ago, probably about max is when you can really say the industry started. Um, but I mean, I, I have mentors who are, you know, in their 50s and 60s and um, somehow miraculously still in the games industry, um, despite the kind of the record it holds. Um, and yeah, they tell me, you know, back in the 80s, back in the 90s, um, we were all pissed off about these same same issues, but um, there was just yeah, you know, there's a little bit of progress, a little bit of in, like you know broaching these taboo subjects, mm-hmm. um, and unionization really is a taboo subject in the games industry. I mean, people get blacklisted just for talking about you know organizing their studio and their coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think in the last year or two. Um, you know, we've had some more high profile cases of people, you know, burning out in pretty um, out there fashions, people having lots of health issues, people, you know, uh, quitting studios in public manners. Um, These things have just been coming up more and more lately. And I think people are starting to really feel safer to broach this topic, not just kind of um, in private with their friends behind closed doors, but also, you know, with the coworkers and with their peers in the industry. So our organization, we're actually pretty young. We're only a few months old, actually. Um, mm-hmm. We really did get organized in lead up to GDC to kind of have this first like kickoff of action and trying mm-hmm. to get the word out. Um, but I mean, we're coming from a place of years and years and decades of, you know, uh, yeah. pro-union sentiment and wanting to improve our industry. Um, so, uh, that's just something we're trying to build on right now. And now that we've got this little bit of a spark, you know, we caught a lot of press, we caught a lot of attention during GDC. We just want to fan that spark into a proper flame and see, you know, just how far we can take this thing. So you did say something that I want to touch on, as you said that, you know, a lot of people feel, or just actually do get blacklisted for talking about this or bringing this up or yeah. trying to organize in the workplace. Now, from the perspective of the employee, right? Like if I heard that like, yeah, oh, Mark over there tried to start talking about unionizing and then he was asked, (sighs) do you know the kind of message that that sends like from the employer to the employee? You know what I mean? Like the last thing I would want to do as an employer is like just fire that person like that. But some people do. They just jump on that and say, oh, got to get this problem out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's totally bullshit, and it's it's sadly extremely common, even in studios that are known to be you know kind of friendlier and have better kind of work life balances and tend to be more open about these general concepts. Yeah. When you say the the dirty word of union, you know mm-hmm. uh, that's when things you know that's when employers really come out swinging. Um, so one of the things we're really trying to do is um, you know be a larger body of people where we can say even though a lot of us are kind of anonymous and and not feeling safe of like publicly supporting our cause um we're here to say like we represent thousands of game developers and so many people want this we want to provide a space for not just people to you know learn about unions learn about why they need unions but also you know, help share their stories um, and get the word out about just how bad, you know, some of these conditions yeah. are in some of these studios. So, yeah. yeah. God, God forbid studios get held accountable. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I will say you mentioned, you know, people get blacklisted, people get fired, people get um, even if not explicitly fired for, you know, saying pro organizing uh, things in the workplace, people get pushed out slowly over like these kind of like social pressures, right, that people start 
putting on people in the studio, um, that's actually illegal and people should know that, um, at least in the United States and Canada um, and in other some other countries abroad, it's actually federally illegal to um, do kind of retaliatory measures against any workers who are, you know, talking about unionization and talking about labor organizing. Um, as long as you have two main causes, one, uh, to improve the conditions of workers in the workplace, and then two, actually um, to help increase the efficiency of your company. Um, yeah. Those are the two yeah. federally mandated protected um, rights you have. And and I, I think it is interesting to know because people think, you know, unions, oh, that's some kind of like third party coming in. It adds bureaucracy. It's like mm -hmm. it's going to mess up your project and me mess up your like vision for your company. No, that's not right. A union is literally just the collective of workers saying, we've had enough. We want a seat at the table. We want to help make this place better and our lives better. Right. And yeah. half of that is about helping the company be more efficient, run better, yeah. you know, make higher quality games. Um, so people really need to kind of learn that unions can be beneficial to both parties at the table. So, oh, good. Actually, I asked the last one. <laughs> well, what, what, what are the type of actions I can take, right? Yeah. If someone sure. were to ask me and I like, hey, that was my next it's, question. <laughs> it's, it's illegal. Uh, so what, like, what can I show them to get them to be like, all right, I, maybe we shouldn't take too much, too many actions right now. We should back <laughs> off a bit. Um, what can you take as a worker or as you, Brandon? So as an employee. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, employee, yeah. Yeah, so it's important to know that, like, you totally have these legal uh, mandated rights, you know, to organize and talk about organizing. That's not a fireable offense. Um, that said, we totally recommend people going about this safely, right? Labor organizing historically has always been a dangerous activity, right? People having all kinds of, um, you know, firings and threats made against them for this kind of work. Um, so it, it's totally real, that threat. Um, so we do recommend people, you know, start if you're going to start these conversations in your workplace with your coworkers, with your peers, start small. Talk yeah. to the people who you really know you trust, like one-on-one. -on -one. Get that second person. That like that's the real deal right there. Like you alone, not so strong. But once you get that second person, that's when you start building a team, right? Mm -hmm. And you can actually support, like, you know, rely on them for support. They can help reach out to the people they trust. It's about building these trust networks and playing it safe at first, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, you know, you can get involved with, you know, uh, national labor organizations and unions. You can talk to Game Workers Unite. We, we're happy to talk to people about, you know, what are their rights, the best practices for going about organizing your workspace, Um things like that. Um, it's totally doable, um, you know, uh, and and a lot of people don't understand how the actual formation process of a union goes. Um, it's actually quite straightforward. All it is is um, a collective of workers says, we want to be in a union. And what happens is um, you do kind of this like voting process where if a majority of the workers in the workplace um, vote positively to form a union, they have formed a union and then you bring in the national uh, labor relations board, um, which is a, kind of an organization that comes in and like mediates these situations mm -hmm. and they will say, okay, yeah, you all signed your cards. There's a majority of people in the workplace supporting this. You are recognized as this like negotiating body for, on behalf of the workers. And then 
step number two is, um, you know, sit down at the table and start contract negotiations, you know, step one contract negotiations, um, Mm -hmm. with the employer. And, um, yeah, so the process is totally doable. Um, people should, you know, reach out to us for more information or a union that they, they trust, um, because it, it, it totally is doable and people can make a lot of progress in their personal studios and things, um, you know, starting tomorrow. So, so what are the arguments against unionization? Uh, not sure. just from employer sense stance, but like, you know, there's just people who just have bad experiences with unionization where, sure. you know, as a customer standpoint or something. Yeah. Um, so uh, starting with employers, um you know, some of the reasons we hear, you know, um, anti-union sentiments um, being said, um, you know, employers say things like, well, if you unionize, then we have to pay more um, on the labor front, which makes the product expense go up, which means we have to sell at a higher price and then people will buy less. Um, and when people buy less, we can hire less of you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of this weird circular logic that actually is not accurate. Um mm-hmm especially with some of these larger companies where like, um, you know, their CEOs are rolling in massive amounts of cash and it's like, um, mm-hmm. you can definitely afford to, you know, just pay people a basic living wage. Um, it will barely even impact your coffers. Um, so this kind of circular logic of like, if we pay you well, we can't hire you anymore because we mm-hmm. won't make money. It's like, it's just not true. And like any, Anyone with any business sense knows that's not accurate. Um, even for smaller studios, it's it's really not a cost overhead thing. It's um, funny how easy it is for them to explain the business model when they're right? telling you no, they can't yeah. provide more money. <laughs> yeah, but when help. you're like, so how is this project <laughs> supposed to actually bring in money for the company? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a pet project that CEO wants. Like, yeah, no, they're all about practical business practices until um, until it's like, okay, but actually, can we just like pay everyone a living wage? Yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, so that's, you know, that's one simple thing employers tend to say. Uh, another thing that I already touched on is um, employers often will say, oh, well, you know, if you unionize, then the union's going to come in here and like bring all this bureaucracy and slow everything down. And like, you're not going to like that. It's going to be awful. You won't even be able to like, um, you know, take your coffee in the morning without confirming from the union that you can have sugar and and creamer. Right. Um, but again, that's, that's like, yeah, it's totally bullshit, but that's like not true. Again, a union is not some third party. It's literally just the collective of workers in the studio. Um, Mm -hmm. it's you, it's you and your fellow coworkers. It's not some third party group messing everything up. So that argument's totally moot. Um, you know, and we hear concerns from like employees and things too. Um, you know, um, but that's usually based off of, you know, past negative experience with unions and unions can, you know, uh, be more of a help or more of a hindrance sometimes depending on their leadership. But if it's you and your coworkers, you define what that means. And if you stand up and say, we want to improve the workplace conditions in the studio, you can set the terms of that. You can like lead that kind of tone in that, that direction for yourselves. Um, so if you're concerned about that, then play an active role and make sure, you know, your workplace improves. Um, and I'd also like to note, um, you mentioned employers, employees, but another person, another important group of people to note, um, kind of in this conversation is consumers, right? Mm -hmm. People who play video games. Um, 
we really think at Game Workers Unite that um, game players can totally be a big ally in this fight to unionize the games industry and help improve labor conditions, um, primarily because um, we're not just against exploitative labor practices, we also stand against exploitative business practices, right? Mm -hmm. And in the last year or two, we've definitely seen a lot of kind of um, push coming from game players, you know, talking about issues like exploitative loot boxes, gambling mechanics, terrible DLC packs that like drain the player when really it's like buying 60% of the game and then they sell you the other 40% in DLC packs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so we think we can really stand with um, game players, with consumers on some of these issues. And um, I think we've seen, you know, some support already from people who aren't in the industry. They just play games. Um, when some of our first kind of press coverage went out, uh, we were trending at the top of the pages for several gaming subreddits, not game dev subreddits, gaming subreddits. Um and the vast majority of comments I went through myself and tons of, and tons of them were positive, you know, people just saying like, honestly, if people were able to sleep at night, if they were able to go home to their kids, if they were able to know they'd have health insurance next week, um, we're pretty sure the quality of these games would be better. Cause like, who the hell's going to make something great, something really fun yeah. when, you know, they're barely awake during the day because they've slept four hours every day for the past like three months. Right. So, yeah, I anyway. <laughs> I got to give credit to the Reddit audience. I find the, I, I don't want to just generalize here, but I kind of have to do about to say. My experiences, there we go. My experiences in Reddit have usually been like, you know, intellectual. There's been good debate. Sure, there's been flaming and insulting, but it's, I definitely feel like I'm talking to a different community than when I'm going through like the YouTube comments or, you know, something like that. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is because I often have felt like the consumers get mad at devs for decisions that devs don't even get to make. So therefore that might've yeah. been a big hurdle to overcome in trying to get the support of like the common general consumer audience to then want to rally for this cause as well. You know, like, especially when I read about like, sure. oh, man, EA and these stupid loot boxes, that studio should yeah. close down and everyone should die. Like all kind of, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah. so I'm paraphrasing just random stuff that you read. I'm not actually saying sure. this myself, just to clarify. No, and, <laughs> and every I mean. dev in the industry knows what you're talking about. Exactly. Like we're all familiar with this. We live and breathe this shit every single day, right? Um, I mean, if you work at any studio of note at all, it, chances are you're very familiar with like just hundreds like, hundreds and hundreds of like mean and awful comments right uh, and yeah you're totally right so many of those comments about like how shitty a game was or the rollout was terrible or this or that half the time if not more it's about the like managerial class who is making these decisions right uh, uh, i mean yeah like um what was your example you said something about like dlc or loot boxes just recently i mean the big in the news like ea and what they've been going through with uh how the battlefront 2 loot boxes kind of were right. received in the public and a lot of the blame that both the studio and publisher were taking for decisions made there yeah and like I feel like I see a lot of comments, like you said, particularly on YouTube and things like that, where people are like, fuck the designers or like, fuck these people. And it's like, 
I can guarantee you the designers did not want to like spend hundreds and hundreds of hours designing an awful loot box system. I guarantee you that's not why they're making games. They make games because they love games, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why any of us are here. We're all fueled off a of passion, but like mm-hmm. um yeah, no, it's it's misplaced blame and I think if we can, you know, help educate game players about these some of these things and like who actually is at fault. I think we can gain a lot of common ground with them. Before before we move on, I kind of want to add on to what you were saying. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I do see a shift where uh, consumers or game players are starting to be a little bit more educated about how games are developed, or at least more yeah. in tune. Maybe because of the internet, or, or just more interest is generating. You know, the latest news that the latest developer that got in trouble, where uh, you know the guys that were making the new Warhammer Forty Thousand, uh, Neocore Games. So they were pledged because they were behind schedule, and they publicly right. pledged oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, the whole uh, we were yeah. crunched ninety hour a week to make sure that we make this Delivered, game for you. Yeah, yeah as, as a positive thing. Of course, there yeah, was, no, was backlash. It was terrible, yeah, and we everybody were was that, like, for sure. exactly. And they were like, hey, <laughs> why don't you just like let your employees sleep and just delay the games and make sure everyone's cool? Like, it's okay. Like, I don't need to play this game like a couple months yeah. early um, at the expense of like people like dying, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, totally. And that's a great example. Um, yeah, I mean, ugh, it's, it's just so frustrating to see some of these things. And uh, I think you guys are hitting on a really good point, which is essentially that the average person who consumes video games doesn't have a lot of kind of background foundational knowledge about the process of actually making games. You know, there's a lot of kind of like secondhand mythos about how you make a game, but like the actual grounded reality of making a game, most consumers aren't familiar with and that's okay, but it's our job to help kind of communicate that. And I I think some of the improvement with, um, gamers kind of becoming more aware of what it actually takes to make a game. I think a lot of that's actually attributed, frankly, to um, some of the people in the games press. Um, I think particularly some of the old guard of games press have either, you know, dropped off or have, um, you know, started dabbling in amateur game development themselves or moved into AAA studios or what have you. And I think that's bringing a lot more institutional knowledge back to consumers, right? Um, I feel like even just in the last like two years, like, you know, whether I'm reading something on Waypoint or Kotaku, Polygon, the the journalists themselves seem way more informed about, you know, the actual reality behind whatever feature they're talking about, whatever kind of game design choice they're talking about. And I think that really helps the consumer. I mean, I think it's something kind of comparable, comparable to, you know, in the film industry, most people get the general concept of like the different roles on the set, you know, the general kind of like idea of like how they prepare and shoot it. And then there's like editing and, you know, all these things. Um, we don't have that comparable knowledge base in the games industry and that for sure impacts, you know, how consumers relate to game devs and the process behind it. And that ultimately impacts labor and issues of labor because often it's the people on the bottom in the company that get a lot of this brunt, kind of like this brunt of like harassment or abuse or negative commentary. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to raise the kind of general knowledge of everyone across the board. Exactly. I mean, it is, it feels like the last, 
two years there's been more uh well like the press the journalism is kind of showing more empathy towards the game developers the consumers learning yeah. from that and understanding more of the process of how much work the game developers put into it like the last few i, I feel like the last few months when activision kind of revealed that you know they're the biggest paid ceo bobby kodak took a cut but he he was paid like 50 million bucks <laughs> for that year yeah. and yeah. you know they wow. compared that to the average activision developer in all global company right of every position it's like $90,000 a year that's the average so there was and like that's a 350 like, to that's 1 like, ratio yeah yeah and that's often kind of that median or average um mm-hmm. kind of salary is actually unrealistic because there's right. um kind of like a smaller group of people with, you know, six figure salaries, you know, exactly. different leads or producers or who have you who, or whatnot. And then on the bottom, there's a huge majority of um, not just salary workers who aren't paid well, but also yeah. you have tons and tons of contract workers. I mean, especially nowadays, the last, I feel like four or five years, it's gotten particularly bad and increasingly. So, so yeah. many companies have started moving away from salary and benefits for their employees. And, yeah. um, even if you're full time, they'll hire you as contracts so they can avoid benefits, so they can avoid yes. all kinds of legal responsibility. Um, it's a huge issue. Effectively, nobody's talking about it, and mm-hmm. it's underpinning the entire industry. It doesn't matter if you're in AAA, if you're in mobile, if you're in indie, it doesn't matter. Contract labor is like destroying the actual yeah. stability and like welfare of your mm-hmm. average game dev. It's, yeah. it's just terrible. Yeah. And yeah, then you've got your CEOs, you know, rolling in the big yeah. bucks and that's, that's but pretty depressing. It's okay. They justify it by saying, at least you'll know you won't have a job in a year and a half because it says so in oh the Oh my contract. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they'll go. do that really, really awful thing where they'll be like, okay, this is like a six month contract position. It's temp, but there's like the opportunity to be considered full time at the end. It's like, mm. Lord knows that's like one Not out only, of 10 people yeah. getting that full time yeah. position. Exactly. You know? it's like, they totally tell it to everyone and they know that maybe they'll yeah. hire one out of 10, but nine out of 10 are going to yeah. work as if they think they're the one out of 10. Yeah. yeah. And the person they're probably going to hire on either one fits the culture and doesn't actually add to the culture of the studio and two is probably the person most likely to be exploited right whether they're young and they're just willing to fuel off a passion and they're not like watching out for themselves or like just someone who's willing to overwork with no overtime pay or mentioning any of these kinds of conditions it's always those people (laughs) who do move on and like, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like I've been that person, right? Like I've been in unpaid internships. Yeah, I've, I've spent that overtime pay. Like I worked my ass off. The problem is that's just not acceptable. Like you have to do what you have to do sometimes, especially when you're low income, like I've been in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But like, and like, yeah, everyone likes to throw on the word, like the word hustle, you know, as mm-hmm. if it's like some golden um, fix for everything, but not everyone can hustle. Not everyone can make it in. And ultimately, you're really just derailing the entire industry when you're, yeah, hiring with such bad practices. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And that's, the, I guess, that's where I was trying to segue a little earlier. Is when I think about unions going into workplaces, I see that, and I mentioned this before, the accountability, right? Like you can't yeah. just run your business without ethics when you start talking about, you know, unions because everything that you do wrong Absolutely. that's like extremely unjust or left. That's a conversation that could potentially be lawsuit and there's project slowdown there. Your entire workforce will walk out and strike 
You know what I mean? Hell yeah. So if you oh, thought yeah. making games on schedule was already hard, try having a union and being an unethical developer. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Like, if you band together, the only way workers can have leverage over their employers, and this is really what we're talking about, it's about power dynamics and like figuring out where you can get that leverage so you can negotiate, right? Because negotiations are all about leverage. The, The employer has this leverage of capital over you, right? They pay your salary. They decide whether or not you're fired the next day because everyone's working at will. And um, yeah, that's like such a massive amount of power behind them. And they have legal teams and all this bullshit. Um, The only thing you have against them is banding together. If that company doesn't run off of the management class, that company doesn't run off of CEOs, they aren't actually making the games Y'all are making the games. Mm-hmm. If y'all just like get together and like actually like fight for this shit, you can really improve your workplace because what are they going to do when like 80% of the workforce is like, nah, you can't just fire this person or no, you can't just like institute these awful overtime situations, like really actually have a seat at the table. That's what it's all about. So yeah. Ugh. Not to make light of the situation, but I bet you a bug's life right. is banned at every game development studio. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, honestly, that movie's pretty damn good. I watched it like six months ago for like the first time since I was a kid. And like, yeah, yeah. that movie is like all these weak ass people coming together and being like, nah, fuck mm-hmm. this. We're gonna yeah. fix this. Mm-hmm. And like ultimately that's what labor organizing is. And that's why like I'm so right. motivated to do this and why everyone I'm working with is so motivated. Um, even when there's you right. know some personal risk, it's like it doesn't matter. Like the potential award is so great, right? Think about all of the, you know, the pay that can go to workers who deserve deserve it and can barely squeak by. Think about the like depression for the folks who deal with like kind of like stress and mental health that could be alleviated. Think about the people who, you know, uh, instead of our culture fits, but our culture adds to a company, those people actually mm-hmm. feeling welcome and accepted into the space and like actually educating and growing your company in a really healthy like ethical way like sure we could have right so that's why we're all fighting so hard for this yeah yeah before we continue on let's have a quick word from our sponsors larry check out this cool shit i made (laughs) (laughs) move your your hand move your hand oh yeah yeah okay oh wow actually that's pretty dope man i'm not gonna lie this time it looks good so what have you been using to actually get this result Took me minutes to use Quixel Bridge and Quixel Mega Scans to integrate this into my Unreal scene. It's amazing, right? Okay. It it's making me retire early on all my projects. So I recommend you using this. Anyone, anyone in any discipline should be getting on with Quixel Mega Scans. Mm. Well, what about me? Like, is it easy to use? What kind of features are they releasing that I should be excited about? Every week, there's a whole gallery of photogrammetry, ready-made assets, ready-made textures for everyone that is subscribed to use. And you yourself can go on Megascans right now, Larry, and uh, use our code GDU, which is in the checkout. Just enter GDU, and you will get the Megascans license for the first three months, 30% off. Man, so if you are already thinking about getting mega scans or you're on the fence, that little extra 30% should definitely help you push over the edge and just try it out. You know, that's what I can say. Exactly. My three months uh, is almost up, but <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And as a side note, if you want to take the conversation further and 
beyond the podcast, listening to the podcast, go join us in our Discord. It's available for everyone. Where can I find that? Shout out to the Discord fam. You can join them and ourselves at www.gamedevunchain.com. On our website, we have that fresh brand new Discord link that'll take you straight to our Discord channels where you can interact, talk crap, promote whatever you want to do and hang out with our other discord listeners and family there. Thanks for holding it down for those who already did. If you guys want to financially give us some love, uh, go directly to our patreon.com forward slash game dev unchained. We do weekly extra extras beyond Mm -hmm. the podcast, like life Life unchained Unchained every Wednesday, (laughs) where we give you a sneak peek behind our uh, episodes behind our lives, you know, yeah. how are we ourselves, Larry and I are unchaining yeah. and taking the conversations and the lessons that we received from our guests and uh, integrating that within our lives. So life on chain is all about that. I want to know how Brandon and I live as game developers, some of the stuff that we work on or just what it's like to unwind after a hard day's worth of work and what we do to kind of de-stress. Definitely check us out on life on chain. You can learn something and you can see something. <laughs> And speaking of seeing something, if you want to watch us play games, we oh, also man. have Game Stream Unchained, where every Monday yes. we kind of break down a game and just have fun yeah. and play through. Yeah, as game developers, sometimes we need to take time to relax too. And we love enjoying some of the stuff that our coworkers or friends are out in the industry or competitors are working on. And we just take some time to not be podcasters to not be devs and we just go back to being fans of gaming and we talk a lot of crap and we enjoy playing the game so if you want to see us just kind of cutting loose on other people's software definitely go and check out game stream unchained last but not least this marks the final episode of the month but gives you still the chance to enter in our monthly giveaway raffle god of war ps4 give it to a lucky winner Uh, who shares or likes any of our episodes or posts and tagging us to let us know that you do, we will send you that copy to yeah. the winner. The great thing about this copy is one is for PS4, wink, wink. Two, it will work for your PS4 or PS4 Pro. This is a very special edition version. <laughs> it will work for both. You can only get it from us. <laughs> exactly. Only from us. So uh, enter in and let us know. All right. Can you can you illustrate like for the employer? Because I, I do want to mm. kind of use some of this to talk to employers. Mm. I'm sure some of them will hear this as well. Yeah. Let's say you're completely against unions. Maybe you're a publicly traded company where you know unionizing is probably like oh the black plague. Um, sure. Is there anything that you think that they could do to even just take one step towards? meeting in a halfway where you know maybe it's not like sure we were we're fully supportive unions but maybe there is conversations that could be had is there anything that you could suggest if i was big time triple a studio or triple a publisher even something that i could do to like legitimately and not just placate but legitimately reach out to my employees to start harboring a better work versus you know employee employee relationship yeah for sure that's a great question i will say as a little bit of a preamble in front Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I want to speak to workers and like enable their best work and enable their own collective power. Um, and what that's really about is like actually identifying that even when an employer is like maybe willing to meet you quote unquote in the middle, um, but, uh, to, you know, fix this issue or that issue, um, without unionizing, 
um, that may give you some small material benefit right now, but Mm -hmm. nothing short of unionization is enough. And Mm -hmm. frankly, a lot of progress in labor organization, whether that's historically things like, you know, ending child labor, ending, um, you know, or or creating the kind of the standard of the eight hour day, those things Mm -hmm. were like fought for, and they're not things that were like granted as these kind of middle ground compromises. Mm-hmm. Um, what's actually really interesting, and sorry, this is a touch of a tangent. Um, most people are familiar with the New Deal, right? Like FDR kind of setting up these like better labor conditions in the United States, you know, granting the legal right for unions to form, um, you know, some kind of like socialized kind of social network or, or I mean, uh, some kind of socialized support networks throughout the government, you know, to help people. Um, a lot of that was actually granted so that a more radical form of labor organizing didn't happen. That was a middle ground approach actually taken by the Democratic Party in the 30s. Um, So like it was to cut off the growing power of popular labor movements in the United States. And it worked, Mm -hmm. you know, so agreeing with um, kind of a middle ground with your employer isn't always good. And it often it will diffuse a lot of the energy you might have to form a union. Mm -hmm. That being said, to your point, sorry, <laughs> to your point, um, there are things you can work with your employer on this and employers, I totally encourage them to get involved, um, to like, you know, learn about these issues, um, you know, start thinking critically about the atmosphere you're creating in your, you know, whatever, whatever it's, whether it's your department or your studio, um, there's a lot employers can do, right? Even just establishing basic like code of conduct stuff for your, um, for your workplace, you know, establishing basic like anti-harassment inclusion policies things like that um that can go a long way to create some foundational change um start being more transparent about expectations for overtime not just surprising people with it but being like hey honestly we're looking at the books and it's looking like next month we're gonna have to crunch on this thing to get this delivery out um start being honest start being transparent in your management practice and that's the best way you can actually help your workers because like i agree Either you're going to crunch or you're not, right? Like mm-hmm. you might as well let people know and prepare so they can give you your best work or their best work if that's going to be the situation, if yeah. that's going to be the reality. Um, and just like starting to broach these conversations is an important thing for employees to do. Um, I will say um, uh, employees, I would say to you that um, if your boss or employer does bring up the issue of unions with you, mm-hmm. do not talk about it. Um, don't just say, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about this or I'm, I'm not educated enough on this or what have you. Um, because sometimes it will be people kind of fishing for that positive Mm. response Mm. and, Mm. you know, trying to find out like, who are the red flags in my workforce, right? Mm. Like, can I get rid of these people now before it becomes an actual thing? So play it safe, play it cool. You know, until you've got that majority. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally true. Um, it's it's called uh, biweekly meetings, one on ones. <laughs> it's called six month reviews. Yeah, this is not for you. <laughs> it's all it's your it's, your, it's, it's the post daily stand up. Um, yeah, check yeah. for like labor organizing. Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much. When someone said, you barely talk to, like, okay, this yeah. is a safe space. You can trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if your manager who has never spoken with you and barely knows your name, if they come up to you and are like, how do you feel about unions? How do you feel about workplace conditions? Maybe think 
twice before you know <laughs> open up about how pissed off you are okay maybe just give yourself a little bit of that self-censorship you know um save it for when union? you're like actually with your co-workers in a safe spot um exactly. i will Those say walks around yeah. buildings right yeah take is, a yeah. break at lunch go out to you know get sushi or whatever and like talk mm-hmm. about these things um mm-hmm. plus if you treat someone to to like lunch or something they'll always be more respect receptive of what you have to say mm-hmm. so take your coworkers out and like get a good lunch you know talk about these issues that's that stuff's important um more to your to your question about like what employers can do um we've actually had a fair number of employers kind of reach out to game workers unite and like ask for like okay i run this like small or mid-sized studio um i would love to encourage like a union in my workplace what can i do um, mm. how can I encourage my employees? Um, and one of the, th- one of the things we've often said is, um, you know, there is this kind of dangerous kind of, um, precedent of employers broaching these subjects with their workers and then firing them later. So try to avoid that. Say you're open to, you know, exploring these issues as like a blanket concept throughout your company, but don't approach individuals about it. Let them mm. work amongst themselves. Let the workers like decide amongst themselves what they want to do. But we do recommend, you know, uh, we we recommend employers to you know, share our information with them, um, get them in contact with us. If they're interested in, like, you know, having some literature, getting trained up on how to organize, if they want to get involved in their local chapter or the international group, um, they can they can totally do that. So we recommend that to employers to share with their with their company and their workers, um, just maybe not on an individual basis, because it does have that kind of historical kind of. Uh, threat behind it even if you have the best of intentions and some employers do you know um but yeah you just have to be mindful of some of these contexts like not all workers feel safe talking about these things nor should they necessarily so So, it's about kind of knowing that context i'm going to ask a little bit of a silly question but there i can see some scenarios where these types of people exist and would do something like this so in approaching the individual and kind of saying like, hey, you know, like maybe Mark, I'm going to go talk to Mark about like potentially organizing a, a labor union here. Mark yeah. actually is a secret company man. And is like, oh, boy, I can, you know what I mean? Score some points <laughs> with, with the boss if I whistleblow. Rat everyone out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Has, do you have any advice on if someone is caught in a situation like that? Or maybe that might be a reason why some people are worried about even going out of their shell and trying to you know, spread this information or even try to get this going? Do you have some advice on that level? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you said it's a silly question, but it's it's really not. It can be the difference between feeling safe in your workplace or not. Right. And that's huge because we spend so much time, you know, working on these projects. Um, I mean, yeah. So sometimes it will be those kind of slimy People who will, you know, maybe put on a friendly face and try to like, you know, rat you out to the employer. I think that's a pretty rare thing. I wouldn't, you know, be paranoid about all your coworkers just because of that kind of thing. But it, it does happen sometimes, you know, you get those types. But here, but the thing is, like, like I said earlier, a lot of this kind of happens within the studio on a person to person trust based basis, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're working with a person, you know, day in and day out, and you've talked to them and you've worked with them, chances are you're going to know what kind of person they are, right? Are they selfless? Are they caring? Do they actually have empathy and interest in, you know, your conditions, their conditions, helping the place become better? Or do they seem like the type who's a little power grabby, you know, trying to find any foothold up? Um, 
unionization, because it's such a touchy subject um, and because we do encourage, you know, people to do it safely and cautiously, um, it really should be taken kind of person by person, right? Just building a very good, solid, trusted network. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, some basic common sense when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, But I mean, I mean, every team of devs that I've ever been on has, you know, had those sessions where it's like, it's after work, we're getting lunch, we're dinner, we're getting dinner, or it's after, you know, after some big release and we're all, you know, a little tipsy, you know, at the bar. Um, people kind of start opening up about out, up, opening up about these issues, you know. Um, I'm sure you've both experienced this in some form. Um, people often will talk about, you know, the work conditions, even if there's not that taboo word of union or taboo word of like labor organizing, um, people open up about these issues. So you can start building off of that foundation, really encouraging people to talk about this and be really open about it. And then, you know, if you're starting to feel safer, maybe say like, at least to a core group, like, hey, you know how we could fix these issues that we're always complaining about a union, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's about kind of those kind of personal one-on-one connections, really. So then as a... Oh, sorry. I just have one last question. As a, <laughs> as a potential skeptic, not necessarily me specifically, but, you know, speaking on behalf of someone who is just listening and cannot share their voice with you right now, uh, mm-hmm. do you feel like there's a benefit to even just trying to initiate collective bargaining without the actual, like, official recognition of union bylaws and bureaucracy mm-hmm. like you were talking about before, but the concept of just collective bargaining in general, like, do you still feel like that can be a powerful tool even without going all the way through with a, you know, official quote unquote, like unionized organization or unionized. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you get. No. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah. I mean, what I'll say is um, again, frankly, the process of unionization is more simple than I think most people understand. And even how you've uh, phrased it just now, Um, no offense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, frankly, like what you need to start negotiating as a bargaining unit, that a bargaining unit is the like kind of legal term for the workers collective who is at the table negotiating with the employer. Mm-hmm. All you have to do to do that is get your coworkers together, have that vote, sign those union cards and be recognized by the national labor relations board, at least in the United States. Um, and that's when negotiations happen. You can form contracts from that. You can improve your workplace conditions from that. Um, you know, you mentioned things like bylaws and bureaucracy. Your union, you know, you might to, you know, establish some accountability in the group to establish, you know, basic kind of roles of like how we're going to support kind of, you know, setting up meetings and, you know, just documenting kind of our decisions as a group. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to start setting that up. But it doesn't. You don't have to draft like a sixty-page constitution and a manifesto, <clears throat> and be like, "This is like our deal," and like we're gonna overthrow the the studio now. It's like it, it can be much simpler than that. It it really is just people getting together, saying they want to sit at the table. Um, and we totally recommend people, you know, kind of learning more about this process. But um, it's it's completely achievable. Right. I mean, it, we, we were commenting how it feels like this is a time where we're starting the conversation and it's picking up a lot of steam. How was the, uh, what was the condition like at GDC? Because I've been hearing from sure. multiple avenues that GDC, this last one was especially 
an important one with the discussions about unionization because just so much more interest and yeah. so much more conversation going. So can you paint a picture of what was going on at GDC for people who didn't attend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If you, 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 a lot of people may have heard kind of secondhand, maybe through like a Polygon article or through Twitter or something. Um, but yeah, GDC was pretty electric this year. Um, I mean, I heard from multiple friends and colleagues in the industry who weren't even aware that I was connected to Game Workers United in any capacity. They'd they'd say things like, have you heard about this, like, Game Workers making unions thing or whatever that is? And, like, have you, like, heard about that Polygon article? Have you heard about this roundtable? What is that all about? Um, Like, people were talking about that um, just across the whole um, conference all, all week long. It was, it was really quite amazing to be a part of it um, and help kind of push that um, kind of into action. Um, and frankly, the vast majority of the reception was extremely positive. Even, you know, uh, folks that I met who are like libertarian or more traditionally conservative, um, which there are a lot of those types of folks in the games industry, um, even a lot of them were like, yeah, conditions are so bad. Like a union would be amazing, right? Like having that little bit of negotiating power. Um, so reception was really great. Um, the conversation was just like really lively all week long. Um, I was in multiple like round tables and meetups and things where people were like talking about it. And it's like, I'm talking about like, uh, like, you know, visual novel people getting together and talking and, and someone being like, have you heard about this union thing or being at like, um, the lgbtqia um xbox kind of meet up and like people are talking about it right and being in you know a talk and someone's like oh and by the way shout out to the union shit like that stuff's real you should follow up with that like it was all over the conference it was so exciting i I was seeing our pins and our and our stickers and things and our pamphlets just on every table on tables everywhere people just had their pins on all the time it was really really exciting um, I was personally busy all week with like interviews with Kotaku and Waypoint things. Um, yeah. uh, that's where all that came from. And yeah, it was really exciting. And it, and frankly, it was kind of unexpected, but we, we mm-hmm. did plan for like this best case scenario and we really did get the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at first just like, we're going to organize some people, you know, have maybe a meetup or two, get some literature out to folks and, you know, hope to maybe start a little bit of a conversation, probably more in terms of the like more politically kind of, aware or motivated people in the industry but it really just broached the whole conference and um <laughs> i remember uh, on monday of the conference um we were starting to hand out literature and buttons and people were like um this says you know you're on twitter at at game workers but i pulled it up and there's nothing there and i was like oh shit i didn't expect people to actually be looking yet so like <laughs> i i opened up the twitter and like publish that and i just put like a little placeholder message of like hey follow us and like you'll probably see more from us and the uh, mm-hmm. probably around wednesday when like that kind of union roundtable was that the igda was hosting mm-hmm. and within an hour we had like 300 followers within two hours mm-hmm. we had like 600 within four hours we were at like 2000 and then by the end of the conference we we're at like four or five thousand and now we're somewhere mm-hmm. around six i think so yeah, and we were starting to get like requests for media and stuff and like right. it was like the morning of Monday first day of GDC nice. um yeah it was really amazing um a lot of outreach a lot of support a lot of sharing of the literature and talking um yeah. and really at the end of the day that's 
really what we're all about, right? We're yeah, here to start right. a conversation. A lot of people right. are like, so what's the next step? Are you going to start a union? And we're like, okay, okay. There's like a thousand steps on the way to forming a union, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're on step one at GDC. We just want to mm-hmm. start this conversation. We want to get some people together in a room and get this ball rolling. But right. we've got so much work to do, right? And um, really, we're just trying to keep pushing that forward. And right. I think we have a good chance at that. We're trying to do this sustainably. We're trying to do this kind of mindfully and grow um, and, you know, include more people in a meaningful way um, and not just be, you know, this thing that happened at GDC. We're having right. meetups, you know, at all kinds of different um, conferences and things. We've already had meetups, you know, kind of around the world. Um I mean, we have chapters popping up in the United States and Canada, um, in the UK, Germany, Brazil, um, all over, and um, more chapters are forming as we speak. Um, And so it's been really exciting. Um, Essentially, what we're doing is like, yeah, one, building local chapters, two, creating literature and helping to educate the industry. And then three, we're trying to build working relationships with other labor organizations and unions. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly, we've worked with IATSE and SAG-AFTRA, the Writers Guild, um, places like uh, Tech Workers Coalition and Coworker.org, um, all these kinds of like really awesome uh, labor organizations that do a lot of great stuff. Um, so kind of those three prongs are kind of what we're doing moving forward to, you know, help build this movement into something sustainable, something with some real teeth. And really, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately it's about giving some knowledge to workers about, you know, their conditions and how they can improve them. And then two, giving them the tools to do that, right? You know, helping right. them organize, helping them know their legal rights, helping them, you know, get the word out, connect with people in their local area and their studio. Um, and that's what it's really all about. It's kind of that distributed local organizing. That's where real change is going to happen, right? Not just at something mm-hmm. at GD, like GDC, like like uh, you weren't there, you know, you said um, a lot of people, most people aren't in the industry at GDC. It's kind of a, a inaccessible thing. It's expensive. Yeah. It's cost prohibitive, time prohibitive. It's not accessible to a lot of people. And so it's about building it beyond, you know, just that GDC action. That was a good spark. Let's fan it from there. That's kind of our mission right now. Yeah. I mean, GDC um, is definitely a hot spot because it's basically a refugee camp for <laughs> victims of the game industry. But Pretty like, much. Uh, what would you say? Is it one of those things that you guys are obviously approaching this really smart, keeping it sustainable and building up the steam? Is it one of those things where maybe down the line, a major company gets behind this and then the rest of the industry follows, or is it just one of those things just going to, have to come from the bottom up with all the game workers being educated about it to actually start doing it within their own companies. And then big change will happen. Simple answer. Bottom up. Always all progress in labor organization has always come from the bottom up and nothing else. It's never been handed down from above. It's always something that's been fought for by, you know, not always like notable people or people in the public eye. It's like people in their daily lives, their friends, their coworkers, their families, getting organized around these issues and really fighting to change their kind of material existence. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's always bottom up. I'll, I'll say that like until I die. Um, that being said, I think there will be some value of whoever the first studios, you know, start to flip into union shops um, that will help bring visibility to the issue for sure. Mm-hmm. That's probably mm-hmm. what it'll do the most in terms of like really being like, Oh, this is a tangible reality now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so, I mean, we are talking to a lot of people kind of trying to figure out maybe what some first kind of marks might be for like these studios might be ripe for it. I mean, like I said earlier, we have some small and mid-sized studios who have approached us or workers have approached us like we want to unionize or we want to turn into a co-op or we want to do, you know, some alternative kind of more uh, beneficial to the workers situation. Right. Um, so those things are starting to kind of happen. It will go slowly. Of course, like I said, there's a thousand steps and maybe now we're at five, but we're sure as hell not a thousand. Um, mm-hmm. But they'll start happening in the coming months and years for sure. Um, I think one thing that's interesting and I think for a lot of people to know, um, cause people talk about like, so what's the like strategy? What are the kind of next steps? Like how can you actually get this done? Um, I think on small and mid-sized studios, it's a lot about, you know, um, uh, kind of forming, you know, things like co-ops or like helping organize these smaller studios into unionized workplaces. That's a, a more accomplishable challenge but there's less of like immediate leverage. One of the interesting things about like AAA or larger studios, um, we have a lot of kind of potential support and kind of firepower in Mm -hmm. the kind of area of, um, you know, uh, voice actors who are represented by SAG-AFTRA. They've had, you know, recent successes with going on strike in the games industry. And that's like one of the first real kind of labor organizing efforts that were really successful in the games industry. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, build that partnership with SAG-AFTRA and with their represented uh, voice actors and and folks. um, And that'll really help us get some like leverage and a first foothold on some AAA and uh, larger studios. And additionally, you've got people like writers and, um, you know, editor, video editors and things and compositors who, you know, maybe come from animation. Maybe they come from film and TV um, Mm -hmm. or uh, advertising. And a lot of those industries are like almost completely uh, unionized, right? They've had the material benefit of being in a union before, right? They had that overtime paid um, successfully. They've had those health benefits. They've had the, you know, the lull between different projects, you know, kind of covered by the security of a union. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're missing that maybe, right? Maybe they're missing that coverage. I mean, I know personally quite a few writers in the games industry who come from screenwriting backgrounds or um, uh, TV writing backgrounds. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I love writing for games, but this is bullshit. Like when we, Mm -hmm. when I was in the union, like none of this bullshit would have gone on, you know, Mm -hmm. all all these Mm -hmm. bad practices. So a lot of these people are itching, you know, to get organized. And I think, yeah, between the folks who've worked in other unionized industries and um, voice actors, we can find those footholds and really start working on these larger companies, which are certainly a bigger nut to crack, but at least we have kind of a the position to put that crowbar in, right? Um, yeah, so that's in terms of tactics, that's kind of at least some of our kind of maybe going forward goals. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this. We talked a lot about things that we've heard. And one other thing I do want to ask you, have you heard about this really cool game? It's called the Fast Five. <laughs> yeah, I have actually. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to, of course, ask you five rapid fire questions. I'm going to need five rapid fire answers. And then we're going to bring it on home after this is over with and wrap things up. Are you ready to play this awesome game? Only if you can give me a union mandated break in the middle. No. Um, yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm already sweating. All right. <laughs> 
Aren't I supposed to be sweating? No, no. This first, this first. It's. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's how it goes because I've I've never had to encounter the demands yet, so I need to. You Hell know, yeah! That's, that's, that's what it's all about. Get that leverage. <laughs> pressure. There we go. It's working. All right. Question number one: An old game that needs a reboot or that deserves a reboot. An old game that deserves a. Oh reboot. my god! Okay, terrible answer, but it's my answer. Uh, Pitfall. Oh, that, oh that's a good one. A good I one, love yeah. Pitfall. Yeah. Um, even though I'm like younger than maybe some folks, um, I grew up playing Pitfall on my mom's uh, ColecoVision, and like that mm. shit is so dope. Um, yeah. yeah, we should shout get out modern for that Pitfall. Being your mom's ColecoVision, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right. Like give her a shout out. Yeah. I remember when my mom shout bought out. that on eBay. We're all like, "What the hell is this?" Like we were wrapped <laughs> up in the marvelous piece of technology that was the GameCube at the time, and yeah. it was like, "What? What is this awful piece of trash that you've brought?" But like, nah. Ah, the ColecoVision was amazing. Right. Question number two. What was the longest crunch you personally experienced? A year and a half. Oh, <laughs> oh man. That's where the passion comes from. Yeah, yeah that, that beautiful passion, you know, backed by no material benefit. It's great. Uh, question number three. When's the best time of day to take a power nap? Never. I actually don't take naps. Um, but if you had to, I would say probably about 3 p.m., uh, drink a cup of coffee, put down yourself for a nap for 25 minutes, set an alarm, conk out. And when you wake up, the caffeine will have hit you and you can just like pop right out and get ready to work. That's a that's power advice right there. That's <laughs> what it's all about. Try that. <laughs> um, all right. Question number four. If you had to give up Facebook or Twitter forever, which one gets the axe? Facebook because I already don't use it anymore. <laughs> it's pretty much just it's just my universal messenger plus um I guess the events functionality is pretty useful. But like Twitter forever, even though it's a giant void of awfulness and I love it. But yeah, I, I'd save Twitter. Facebook is pretty much like my cell phone now. That's about it. <laughs> uh the final question. Name the arcade game that you spent the most quarters on. Ooh. Oh, that's a tough one. Probably either Dance Dance Revolution Extreme. I used to do um, expert level on that. I was pretty damn good in oh, junior wow, high. Wow. Yeah. Me and my friend Jung were pretty damn gung-ho about Dance Dance. Um, but it was probably actually um, Area 51. Um, mm. Probably the f- first one, I think. I remember. I think you went to a lot of movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what all the places I remember seeing Area Fifty One after the arcades closed yeah. out was right. It's at the good though. Theater. It's yeah. good though. Yeah. It's good like times. a slightly worse time crisis without the cool like ducking functionality. Yeah. All right, so I actually have a surprise sixth question for you. I awesome. will say that you did complete the challenge, so congratulations. We're going to send you your prize in airmail. It'll be there sometime, some way. Uh, the sixth question is, I actually need a question from you to ask our potential next guest. It just needs to be video game related or game industry related. Oh, that's really good. Um, let's see. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> what? book or poem most influences your kind of appreciation for video games Mm. weird ass question i know but um Uh, i want to know that answer that's no problem that's the one that we're gonna ask thank you very much for competing actually uh not only did you give a good time but you gave a really power tip on how to take a power nap yeah man it's about empowering y'all come on yeah serious well i mean 
let's uh, we can close it up with this question, right? Let's bring it on home. So obviously, you guys are making steps towards making the game industry a better place. So, what is the next five to ten years that you see during this process? What's what in your optimates uh, feelings about it? Yeah, like what do you feel the next five ten years should be to stay on on track? I think a lot can really happen in the coming years. Um, I think five to 10 years is a great way to kind of benchmark this. A lot of people want things to change, you know, with a flip of a switch. Um, That's not how this is going to go. It's going to be a long, steady fight, right? Um, But really, I think, uh, you know, in the coming year and a half or so, really kind of laying the, the foundation for some of these grassroots groups to kind of get together, organize, give them the tools they can start to like build that community around labor organizing in the games industry. And then, you know, maybe two or three years out, hopefully we'll have, you know, some of those smaller mid-sized studios start to flip. Some of those smaller studios um, maybe turn into co-ops or something that's better for their workers. Um, Maybe get that first foothold in one of those big studios. If we can take a bite out of one of those big studios and really get something going in the next like two to three to four years, I think that'll be really great. I think there's a lot of potential out there. It's about kind of opportunity and it's about um, kind of what the kind of conversation and culture is in the workplace. So it's not something we can force. It's not something we can kind of push ahead in terms of time scale, but it's about waiting for that moment. That's like perfect, right? Maybe something bad happens at a company and everyone's talking about it. And like, that's the moment it's like, Let's get all everyone mobilized. Let's like get a couple people kind of organizing their workplace. Let's do this. Like so, waiting for that moment and being prepared for when it happens. Um, like with most success in life, um, success in unionizing is really about doing that homework, getting your like work done in preparation, and being ready and like skilled and prepared for when like the time comes. Right. So like any worker, you know, caring about these issues, we totally encourage them to get involved with us or any local union. Um, around them and like start building those skills because when the time comes when you really could make a good push and really improve your conditions you'll want to have had those skills built up um so yeah i think on the time scale of five to ten years is great i i really hope you know within especially within the next 10 years we should absolutely be seeing unionized uh, uh studios across the industry um i i really think that's achievable um i think a lot of us do and uh, that's going to be a great goal to kind of like keep pushing ourselves forward. Hey, man. I have to say, everything that you've said in this episode is right. I'm Leonard <laughs> Charles, and I'm saying goodnight. This is Hell Brandon yeah. Fam. See you guys next week. Good night, y'all. Solidarity forever. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.